Hello and welcome to the generic sermon bumper video. A completely non-specific video meant to play immediately before your pastor gives you their Hello message. Hello and welcome to the generic sermon bumper video. A completely non-specific video meant to play immediately before your pastor gives you their message. Now, I understand you might have some questions like, what is the purpose of this video? Well, that's a good question. You might also be asking, will this video have strong imagery to help prepare me for the message I'm about to hear? That too is also a great question. But because I'm not aware of the sermon title or series that you're currently in, I'm gonna throw up some vague imagery to hopefully set the mood. Here's a waterfall. Now a time lapse of some city. A finger pointing to the Bible. How about a young farmer slowly folding his arms and beginning to smile? And what sermon bumper video would be complete without words like hope, faith, love, forgiveness? And we also want to let you know that today, your pastor, well, <laughs> they're going to bring it. They've got a message so good that you're going to hear people after service saying, wow, that message was so good. And how do we know that? Well, this is a sermon bumper video, and that's what we do. And to be honest, if it's not that good, it's not my fault. So pull out your Bibles, open your hearts, and welcome your pastor to the home. Oh, they're, they're still in the bathroom. Okay, yeah, I can wait. Oh, we're good. Excellent. Okay, excellent. Well, folks, thank you so much for watching. We'll see you next time. And let's put our hands together for our pastor. Well, good morning, church. Is this on? Can't tell if this is on. I am on. Got the green light. Turn my gain up or something and turn me up. Anyway, so as you probably noticed, I'm not Ben. Uh, he is currently in... Gain's too high, bud. Anyway, he's currently in South Dakota right now, getting ready to ride his bike for 300 and some miles. And We're good? Okay, anyway. So I, uh, I, will, I was, he asked me to fill in, and I said yes, and... I've been regretting it ever since, but uh, but here we go. Um, first off, I, for those of you who don't know, know who I am, I'm Jared Brown. Uh, me and my wife, Whitney, yeah. Me and my wife, Whitney, are the youth directors here. Um, we've been doing that since sometime in 2020, and uh, it's, been a, it's been a ride. Uh, I just, uh, first, I want to thank everybody that I helped out with the rummage sale this, this week. Um, we couldn't have done it without any of you guys. Um, thank you for everyone who don donated, uh, who helped us sort through everything, helped us set up, helped us, helped us tear down. And thank you most of all to Whitney, because she did most of the work. Because she is amazing. She's my better half. And I'm still ringing? Am I good? Okay, anyway. So... Uh, the last several weeks, ben, uh, Pastor Ben has been talking about different kinds of faith. Uh, unoffended faith, unconditional faith, unforgettable faith, and unshakable faith. Uh, today, I want to talk to you about having faith to face the giants and battles this world uh, brings up. Uh, this world tends to bring us down. Uh, these giants may come in forms uh, like depression. Uh, you, don't know, you don't see the point to life and don't want to keep going. Uh, anxiety. Feeling overwhelmed by life, by things like never-ending bills, busy schedules, work, 
school deadlines, going out in public or speaking in public, which that hits close to home to me, uh, or anything that just disrupts any sense of normalcy. Other battles can come from come in the form of uh, addiction, the need to fill the emptiness or dull away the pain of life, or the battle of watching those you love struggle with addiction, wanting to help fill that void or ease the suffering, but feeling helpless as they continue to choose drugs or even lose their battle. I want to tell you that we can face anything the world sends our way. We just have to have faith that everything works out for God's glory. So I have three points uh, and three examples uh, from the Bible that I want to share with you guys today. Uh, my first point is, when in doubt, face it out. Uh, my first example is probably my favorite story from the Old Testament. It's the story of Gideon. Uh, let me give you a quick backstory of, of the history, and then we will get into the story. Uh, the book of Judges talks about the history of Israel in the times before kings. Israel had, had had a history of disobeying God, so he would allow them to be conquered by their enemies for a time. Then he would raise up a judge to lead them out of the hands of their enemies and back to following God. I think I'm still uh, ringing, but should I move backwards a little bit? Anyway, let's try this. Is that better? That's much better. Anyway. <laughs> so I'm going to start in Judges 6, uh, and don't worry, I'm not reading all of it, just a lot of it. Uh, so I'm going to start in Judges 6, verses 1 through 6. The Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight, so the Lord handed them over to the Midianites for seven years. The Midianites were so cruel that the Israelites made hiding places for themselves in the mountains, caves, and strongholds. Whenever, whenever the Israelites planted their crops, marauders from Midian, Amalek, and the people of the east would attack Israel, camping in the land and destroying crops as far as Gaza. They left the Israelites with nothing to, nothing to eat, taking all the sheep, goats, cattle, and donkeys. Uh, these enemy hordes coming with their livestock and tents were, were, as thick, uh, were as thick as locusts. They arrived on droves of camels, too numerous, too numerous to count, and they stayed until the land was stripped bare. So Israel was reduced to starvation by the Midianites. Then the Israelites cried out to the Lord for help. So God sent a prophet to a man named Gideon and called him to lead his people out of the hands of their enemies. So this is his reply. This is, uh, we're just going to skip ahead to verse 15. But Lord, Gideon replied, how can I rescue Israel? My clan is the weakest of the whole tribe of Manasseh, and I am the least of my entire family. The Lord said to him, I will be with you, and you will destroy the Midianites as you were fighting against one man. So Gideon, being a warrior, had asked for a sign that this was from God. And long story short, he got that sign and realized he had been talking to an angel. And it's like, how cool would that be? You're just talking to some guy, and then you realize, oh, my God, this is an angel. This is like the coolest thing ever. Uh, so anyway, God instructed Gideon to destroy his father's altar to Baal and his town's Asherah pole, which was an idol that they had created back in those days. Uh, then God instructed Gideon to build an altar to him and sacrifice him. Sacrifice to him. The town was very upset about the destruction he had caused and called for Gideon's head. But his father Joab told people that if Baal was really God, then he could do deal with Gideon himself. And obviously, Baal isn't real, but we know God, Gideon lives there. 
Well, that's a great story, right? Uh, well, that was just the backstory, so I'm getting to the story now. Uh, let me continue reading, starting in verse 33. Uh, soon afterwards, the armies of Midian, Amalek, and the people of the east formed an alliance against Israel and crossed the Jordan, camping in the valley of Jezreel. Then the Spirit of the Lord clothed Gideon with power. He blew a ram's horn as, as a call to arms. The men of the clan of Abazar came to him. He also sent messengers to Manasseh, Asher, Zebulun, and Naphtali, summoning their warriors, and all of them responded. Then Gideon said to God, If you are truly going to use me to rescue Israel, Israel as you promised, prove it to me in this way. I will put a wool fleece on my threshing floor tonight, and the fleece is, if the fleece is wet in the morning, but the ground is dry, then I will know that you are going to help me rescue Israel as you promised. There he goes, asking God for another sign. Um, a lot of times people think that um, that faith has to be blind. Like, this is what God says, so I have to do it without any questions asked. Um, but sometimes that's the case, and other times, if you are unsure of what you heard, it's okay to confirm what God said to you. Um, so I'm going to continue in verse 38. And that is just what happened. When Gideon got up early the next morning, he squeezed the fleece, and wrung out a whole bowl full of water. Then Gideon said to God, Please don't be angry with me, but let me make one more request. Let me use the fleece for one more test. This time, let the fleece remain dry while the, the ground around it is wet with dew. So that night, God did as Gideon asked. The fleece was dry in the morning, and the ground was covered in, with dew. Sometimes it's okay to double confirm. <laughs> so after that, uh, Gideon and the men he had gathered were, were camped, ready to go to battle. God said he had way too many men with him, because if they would defeat the army that they were vastly outnumbered by it anyway, they could boast and say that they, they defeated the army on themselves. Um, so Gideon told everyone who was afraid of this battle that they could go home. And 22,000, yes, 22,000 men went home, leaving only 10,000 to fight. Oh, man, that's... If they were outnumbered before, they're definitely outnumbered now. Um, but God said there were still too many. Uh, Gideon took his men down to the stream to drink water and divided them into two groups. One group was all of the men who cupped their hands with the, uh, and drank the water out of that, out of their hand like that. And the others were the ones who, who knelt down like dogs and drank straight from the, the stream. Only 300 men drank from their hands, and so Gideon sent the rest home. So they started with 32,000 soldiers and are now down to 3, 000, uh, 300. That math ain't adding up. Anyway, uh, <laughs> so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start here in Judges 7, uh, verse 8 through 22. This is kind of the rest of the story. Um, so Gideon collected the provisions and ram's horns with the other warriors and sent them home. But he kept the 300 men with him. The Midianite camp was in the valley just below Gideon. And that night, the Lord said, Get up, go down to the Midianite camp, for I have given you victory over them. But if you are afraid to attack, go down to the camp of your servant Hura. Listen to the Midianites. Listen to what the Midianites are saying. You'll be greatly encouraged. So basically, Gideon had already asked for three, three signs that this is what God wanted him to do. And God's like, here's the fourth. That's a, that's a great God. He, he, knows, he knew Gideon was a warrior, and so he's like, hey, let's... Let you at ease a little bit more. So Gideon took Hura down and went down to the edge of the enemy camp. The armies of Midian, Amalek, and 
people of the east, I've struggled with my belly, like like a swarm of locusts. A camel of wool like grains of sand on the seashores. Too many to count. Gideon crept up just as a man was telling his companions about a dream. The man said, I had this dream, and you may. And in my dream, a loaf of barley bread came tumbling down to me to my, to me to my camp. It hit a tent, turned it over, and knocked it flat. His companion answered, Your dream can only mean one thing. God has given Gideon, son of Joash, victory over the Midianite hordes. When Gideon heard the dream and its interpretation, he bowed and worshipped before the Lord. And then he returned to the Israelite camp and shouted, Get up, for the Lord has given you victory over the Midianite hordes. He divided the 300 men into three groups and gave each man a ram's horn and a clay jar with a torch on in it. Then he said to them, Keep your eyes on me. When I come to the edge of the camp, do just as I do. As soon as I and those with me blow the ram's horn, blow your horns too, and all around the camp, and shout for the, for the Lord and for Gideon. And it was just after midnight, after changing the guard, when Gideon and the hundred men with him reached the edge of the Midianite camp. Suddenly, they blew the ram's horn and broke the, the clay jars. Then all three groups blew their horns and broke their jars and held the blazing torches in their left hands and the horns in their right hands. And they all shouted, A sword for the Lord and Gideon. Each man stood, up, stood at his position around the camp and watched as all the Midianites rushed around in panic, shouting as they ran to escape. When the 300 Israelites blew their ram's horn, the Lord caused the warriors in the camp to fight against each other with their swords. Those who were not killed fled to a place as far away as Bethsaida near Zoran and, on the, and to the border of Abel Meroah, whatever that is, near Tabath. <laughs> a lot, lot of fun words in the Bible. Gideon, even though he was a warrior, and asked God for signs from God, had faith that God would lead him to victory over his enemies. And the way God works isn't always the way we think it will go. Uh, <clears throat> some battles we know there is no way we can, can lose with God on our side. There ain't no mountain high enough, there ain't no valley low enough, or ain't no giant big enough to defeat our God. Uh, this leads to my second point. Uh, God is bigger than the boogeyman. So I'm going I'm to I'm skip ahead a bit to the, kind, to the kind of kings in Israel, the story that I'm sure most of you already know. One of Israel's enemies, the Philistines, gathered an army to fight and conquer Israel. The Philistine army had a secret weapon up their sleeve, a short guy named Zacchaeus. Wait, that's the wrong story. Hold on. A really, really tall guy named Goliath. Uh, they say he was nine foot tall. His armor was, weighed 125 pounds, and his spearhead weighed 15 tons. He was a big dude. I'm only 6'1", six, 6'2", six, and that's like another thing to imagine. <laughs> anyway, this frightened the Israelites, so Goliath challenged their greatest warrior to a 1v1 fight. But again, the Israelites were too scared to fight him. Enter David. Not David Bathsheba, but David from the Bible. Uh, he was the youngest of eight sons. And he was a shepherd, not a soldier. One day, David's father, Jesse, sent him to bring food 
with his three oldest brothers who were with Israel's army. When he got there, he saw Goliath on the other side of the valley, taunting them and shouting blasphemies to God. This angered him to the point of respecting the giant giant. David was then brought to King Saul, who tried to discourage him from facing the giant, but he couldn't talk David out of it. So I'm going to read here in 1 Samuel 17, 38-51. Again, it's going to be a lot of, lot of verses in this, this story. Uh, then Saul gave David his own armor, a bronze helmet and a coat of mail. David put it on, strapped a sword to it, and took a step or two to see what it was like, for he had never worn such things. I can't go in these, he protested to Saul. I am not used to them. So David took them off again. He picked up five smooth stones from the stream and put them into his shepherd's bag. Then, armed only with the shep- his shepherd's staff and sling, he started across the valley to fight the Philistine. Goliath walked out towards David with his shield-bearer ahead of him, sneering in contempt at the ruddy-faced boy. Am I a dog, he roared at David, that you come, to me- come at me with a stick? And the he cursed David by the name of his gods. Come over here, and I will give you, give your flesh to the birds and wild animals. Goliath yelled. David replied to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword and spear and a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. Today the Lord will conquer you and, uh, and will kill you and cut off your head. Then I will give you the... And I will give the dead bodies of your men to the birds and wild animals. And the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. So everyone assembled here will know that the Lord rescued his people, but not with a sword or spear. This is the Lord's battle, and he will give you to us. As Goliath moved closer, close to attack, David quickly ran out to meet him, reaching to his shepherd's bag and taking out a stone. He hurled it with his sling and hit the Philistine in the forehead. The stone sank in. Goliath stumbled and fell face down on the ground. So David triumphed over the Philistine with only a sling and a stone, for he had no sword. Then David ran over and pulled Goliath's sword from its sheath. David used it to kill him and cut his head off. Then the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, and they panicked. I've got to say that the uh, the Old Testament is very violent, and it's really fun to read. So any students in here, Chase, you should read the Old Testament because it's pretty cool. Anyway. Uh, so David had confidence that God would conquer his enemies, and it was never by his own strength or ability. God is the creator of the universe and everything in it. There's nothing as big as him. Sometimes the storms we face in life come out of nowhere. There's nothing we can do but have faith that our suffering and going through will be all for God's glory. My third point is God is God in life or death. There are several examples of this in the Bible, but I want to share one in particular about three friends named Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, or better known by their Babylonian names, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Uh, for a period in Israel's history, they were exiled from their land and taken to Persia and Babylon. The three amigos, I'm going to call them that because it's a lot easier than saying Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, uh, and one of their friends named Daniel, you, who you've probably heard of, uh, were taken to the court of Nebuchadnezzar to work on their government. So that's enough backstory. I'm going to get right into it. Uh, one day, King Nebi had a statue made of himself, and whenever music played, everyone was to bow down and worship the statue. But the three amigos, being strong in their faith, refused to bow down and worship anyone but God. 
this made King Nebi extremely angry. Uh, here's what happened next. Uh, this would be Daniel 3, 13 through 30. Then Nebuchadnezzar flew into a rage and ordered that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought before him. When they were brought in, Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is this true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you refuse to serve my gods or to worship the gold statue that I have set up? I'll give you one more chance to bow down and worship the statue I have made when you hear the sound of the music I enter. But if you refuse, I will you will be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. That Then what God will be able to rescue from my power? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, God, God who, the God whom we serve will be able to save us. He will rescue, rescue us from your power, your majesty. But even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear, your majesty, that you, we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue you have set up. I want to say, I want to believe, like, whenever it says your majesty, they were being very sarcastic. Like, they have no power over them, so they, were, they just wanted to, like, stroke his ego a little bit and make him probably make him a little bit more mad. Uh, um, Nebuchadnezzar was so furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that his face became distorted with rage. He commanded that the furnace be heated seven times hotter than usual. Then he ordered some of the strongest men in his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them out, throw them into the blazing furnace. So they tied them up and threw them into the furnace, fully dressed in their pants, turbans, robes, and other garments. And because the king in his anger had demanded such a hot fire for the furnace, the flames killed the soldiers as they threw the three men in. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, securely tied, fell into the roaring flames. But suddenly, Nebuchadnezzar jumped up in amazement and excited and exclaimed to his advisors, Didn't we tie up three men and throw them into the furnace? Yes, your majesty, we certainly did, they replied. Look, Nebuchadnezzar shouted, I see four men unbound walking around in the fire, unharmed. And the fourth looks like a god. Then Nebuchadnezzar came as close as he could to the door the flaming furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out, come here. So the three stepped out of the fire, then the high officer, officials, governors, and advisors crowded around them and saw that they had not been, that the flames had not touched them. No, not a hair on their heads were, were singed, and their clothing was not scorched. They didn't even smell of smoke. Then Nebuchadnezzar said, praise the God, to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He sent his angels to rescue his servants who trusted in him. They defied the king's command and were willing to die, rather than serve or worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I make a decree. If any, any people, whatever their race or nation or language, speak a word against the god of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they will be torn limb from limb, and their, house, their houses will be turned into heaps of rubble. There is no other god who can rescue like this. Then the, then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to even a higher positions in the province of Babylon. So this is one of those instances where God didn't keep them from going through the fire, but they, but they held to their faith, and through that, the lives of others were changed. Uh, so this particular example has a classic happy ending. Uh, the evil king had changed the heart, and the three protagonists made it to the end and even got the, the much-deserved promotion. Unfortunately, life isn't always like that. Sometimes God walks with us through the flames 
and we will still get the bad news from the doctor or a best friend loses their battle with addiction or any number of bad things. But the difference is that we aren't walking alone. As the wise tie-dyed lady reminded us last week, the God of the Bible is the same God today. The God who defeated an army, too big to count, the God who defeated a giant with a single stone, and the God who walked three men out of the fire completely on time is always with us and will see us through the fire. So that's all I have for you guys, but I will end in prayer. God, we just thank, thank you for who you are and what you do for us. Thank you for always walking with us through every, every adversity, every battle. Thank you for giving us the strength to face the giants. Pray that you just walk with us even more this week. Give everybody the strength to face whatever whatever's thrown at them this week. Pray for a great day and thank you for everything you